Amen. Thank you, worship team. I say every time I hate not playing guitar, but <laughs> that was good. Well, Merry Christmas in July. I just want to say right before the youth leave, uh, thank you, youth, for helping wrap all the Christmas presents. Thank you. Yep. If, if you're in grades 6 through 12, uh, that's what's going on right now, if you're confused. Um, grades 6 through 12, they're going to head upstairs. Uh, Matt and Julie uh, have something planned for them that apparently is better than what I have planned. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not a competition. Uh, youth group's awesome, right? You get to play games and have more fun than... <laughs> Try and not make adulthood boring, right? But... Um, yeah, I thought I'd get more comfortable with this Christmas in July theme. Why is there a flamingo? I don't understand the flamingo. It's someone's favorite part. I'm sorry. They wanted to put this in front of my microphone every week. I was like, no, it's too distracting, and worship is supposed to be about God, not about tiki torches, but it is funny. Um... I thought I'd get more used to this Christmas in July theme, uh, but, you know, by the time we got all the decorations down and set up, I wasn't about to be like, nah, change my mind, forget it, let's go cut it. But, uh, yeah, thank you to the youth. Um, thank you to Lisa, helped decorate. Um, obviously, it has a woman's touch, especially the foyer, or it wouldn't look this way if I did it, a.k.a. it would look worse. <laughs> Um, also, the, the women's ministry, um, thank you for, for helping make the cookies. Uh, Tracy helped organize them baking. Um, yeah, everybody loves cookies, right? Uh, and just everyone else, uh, really, you know, thank you. Um, I hadn't, uh, I was expecting a few Grinches and no one complained, at least to my face. I know I got booed the first week uh, by the youth, so I know not everyone likes the Christmas in July. And don't worry, today is July 31st, tomorrow is August, it'll all be gone uh, next week. But um, hopefully you got, you know, some Christmas joy, some Christmas spirit. We just sang about joy, unspeakable joy. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church, but uh, as a kid, you know, I was just in the back eating Cheerios and coloring. Once I actually started to listen, I remember learning about this joy, right? Paul says there's a peace that surpasses all understanding in the book of Philippians. And I was like, how can you have joy when there's trouble and there's hardship and life happens, but you can uh, we, we sang about unspeakable joy, and if you don't have unspeakable joy and you want unspeakable joy, this isn't in my sermon, now I'm just preaching. If you want unspeakable joy, we, we want to pray for you because it's awesome. <clears throat> I can tell you that peace, that, that's one of my life verses now after this season is uh, in Philippians, that the peace uh, surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but hopefully you've been revitalized and re-energized, that, that church kind of shook things up a little bit uh, and made it kind of fun again. Um, you know, most importantly though, uh, hopefully it's made your uh, love and respect for God's amazing plan to come as a baby um, to save humanity from sin and death just that much more real. So uh, the first week, uh, Steve Wynn actually kicked us off, and uh, he also started a trend that uh, continued 
um, he wore a Hawaiian shirt, right? Because it's Christmas, but it's still July. We have some summery things up here. Um, the only Hawaiian shirt I own, uh, my wife and I just uh, celebrated 14 years of marriage last week. And hey, that's all her. <laughs> just kidding. Um, we did go to Maui for our honeymoon, and I bought a Hawaiian shirt, and it doesn't fit anymore. So, here I am. But I love that Steve did that. Uh, it was continued on by everyone except me, which is awesome. But Steve kicked the series off. Uh, it was one, it was interesting. He, you know, said, uh, when, when can I preach? I gave him a date, and then I said, and by the way, how's your Christmas <laughs> sermons. And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, I said, we want to start the Christmas in July uh, on that day. Can you, can you do a Christmas message? And, and he, he rolled with the punches pretty well. Um, but yeah, he, one of the things he talked about was um, that accepting Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. And that's very true. But I also want to add that it's the most important decision you can pass up. Because you do have a choice. And if you choose not to follow Jesus and not to accept his gift of salvation, um, you know, that Jesus Christ is the only son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's what the Bible says. You know, we also believe in a hell. And that's an eternal punishment. That's separation from God for all eternity. But what does the Bible say? It says that God does not want anyone to perish, right? Uh, in 2 Peter, uh, he, he wants everyone to come to repentance. And so the following week, uh, Hillary spoke about the idea of redemption. Uh, he, he said he was excited when I asked him, do you have a you know, Christmas message? He's like, yeah, yeah, I've got this idea. He said that the reason for the reason for the season, I love that, was that Jesus could come and redeem us. And he used the, the illustration to show how redemption works of the, the green stamps, the green stamps? I'm getting it right this time. First service, not so much. Green stamps. Uh, I, I'm old, but I'm not that old. It's be, before my time. <laughs> but he used that as an illustration to show how redemption works, that there was a price to be paid and Jesus paid that with his life by death on the cross. But he didn't stay dead, right? God is alive. And then last week, Mark laid out the foundations for Christmas. He gave us the resume for Christmas. Uh, and one of, one of my favorite things that he talked about was that God is all-powerful and that he can use anything. The prophecy in the Old Testament said that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. And so to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, the Romans were doing a tax. They were doing a census, and it forced Mary and Joseph uh, to go to Bethlehem because that's where they needed to register for that. And therefore, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy, which is awesome. And then spoilers for next week. You weren't expecting spoilers, were you? Next week, again, we do have our pastoral candidate, Pastor David, is coming. He will be here at both services. Um, I don't know. We could leave the Christmas decor up and really throw him for a loop and see how he kind of rolls with it. We won't, we won't do that. I'm kidding. 
Plus, it's August, so uh, hey, can you do a Christmas in July message in August? That'd be really tough. I'm not gonna, not gonna do that. We'll we'll take it down, but um, yeah, we'll just see how that goes. So, uh, hopefully, you got a present on the way in, uh, Christmas wrapping paper and everything. If you didn't, there's a few up here. I'm sure there's some in the foyer. You can grab one on your way out. Um, did anyone already open it? A few of you are willing to admit. You're the ones who snuck out at night when your parents were asleep to just peel the corner, right? Just be like, what is it? You just couldn't wait, could you? That's okay. It's okay. You have a choice with your Christmas in July present, okay? Um, the choice is you can keep it, open it for yourself, or you can take it from this building and give it away, okay? And there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, but before you make a decision, do you want to know what's in here? Those of you who didn't open it. <laughs> All right. Inside is this book. It's called The Life Book. Uh, it's from the Gideons International, which is an awesome organization. Thank you, Mark and Aaron. Uh, they are both part of our congregation, but also part of Gideon's International. So thank you guys for um, doing that. They're, they're an awesome organization. They get Bibles everywhere. Um, and this life book is the story of the gospel of John, okay? Not all four gospels, just the gospel of John. And if you can see that, I know it's really small, but there's little scribble notes on the sides. And uh, so there's a couple, it explains at the beginning, but there's a couple different perspectives of people making notes. One's young, one's old. Um, some people have been Christians a long time. One person doesn't even know what a Bible is. They're reading it for the first time, and so they're making notes. Uh, and it's just to help you understand the gospel or who you want to give it to. Uh, so again, there's no right or wrong answer. If, if that sounds like something you need if you struggle with understanding the Bible, I want you to rip open your Christmas gift, okay? Rip that Christmas wrapping paper off. We don't need to save it. That's silly. I never understood why people do that. Rip it open, take it home, and read it for yourself, okay? It is your Christmas in July gift. Now, if you're someone who has lots of Bibles sitting around, or you're like, I totally understand everything about the Gospel of John. I don't need this. First of all, come talk to me because I would love to pick your brain. And also, <clears throat> you know, keep it in the wrapping paper and you are welcome to give it to a family member, a friend, a coworker. Because I can guarantee you, you hand them something with Christmas wrapping paper in July and they're going to wonder, what is this? You probably have someone you've been struggling with. How do I breach the subject of Jesus Christ? How do I talk to them about the gospel? Hopefully, this helps, all right? So, enjoy that. <laughs> but where do we go from here? What can I say about Christmas in July that hasn't already been said? The, maybe it's best summed up by the theologian that said, today was great, we did mean things, and we did them in style. Okay, I know not a ton of people came to the movie night on Friday, but has anyone seen The Grinch? Okay, sorry. Oh, wrong Grinch quote. Oh, he said, to kindness and love, the things we need most. That's better, right? 
Okay, that's a joke. The Grinch isn't a theologian. Please don't go read Dr. Seuss for your commentary, okay? <laughs> but we had fun uh, Christmas in July. I mean, I had to make so much popcorn, you guys. Free popcorn. Movie theater popcorn. There's another movie night coming. I don't know yet, but, <laughs> but why Christmas in July? Makes no sense, right? Christmas in July makes about as much sense as God coming to earth as a baby instead of a king. But we have, we have Christmas specials, right? The Grinch is a good one, but I know not right now because nobody else is doing celebrating Christmas in July as far as I know around here. But in December during Christmas, you turn on the TV and there's Christmas specials, right? Avoid the Hallmark Channel at all costs, right? <laughs> Nothing but Christmas specials there. Um, I like the Peanuts one. Uh, so we had, we had our movie night. We had our, our Christmas special. We had uh, Christmas flavors, which I will still say uh, we did a dollar off any Christmas flavors at the espresso bar. Um, peppermint mochas, gingerbread lattes, whatever Christmas thing you can come up with. The, today's the last day to take advantage of that. Um, we also had candy canes and Christmas cookies. So lots of Christmas flavors, actually. We've had Christmas music, right? Christmas music every Sunday during this series. We've had at least one Christmas song. Uh, when Stevie asked me, do you want any songs for Sunday? I said, no, whatever. Just make sure you do a Christmas song. And she said, I can do all Christmas songs? <laughs> she didn't end up doing it, though. So I don't know. And then there's always the Christmas spirit, right? I already probably said too much about that. But the joy and happiness. And then lastly, the Christmas gifts, right? We didn't put bows on them, but with a pretty little bow and everything. A gift that perhaps uh, you might keep or you might both confuse and amaze someone. <laughs> People might be wondering, Daniel, how did you get Christmas wrapping paper in July? But some things will forever remain a mystery. And I don't want to endorse, you know, Amazon or anything. The phrase, the phrase Christmas in July, though, I thought before we kick this off, I thought Christmas in July came from a really old movie. And when I say really old, I mean black and white, okay? Casablanca is a really old movie, <laughs> okay? I only know that because my wife makes me watch old movies, and they're good, okay? But uh, it is, there's a 1940 uh, movie called Christmas in July, and it's starring Dick Powell and Ellen Drew, Yep, okay, me neither. Turns out, though, I learned from, from researching that Christmas in July, the phrase, was before that movie. It comes from, uh, the, now, south of the equator is actually experiencing winter right now. A little geography, we're north of the equator, so that's why it's 97 today. <sighs> All right, and not winter. Uh, but the story goes that there were people, I'm going to call them northerners, I think they were from Scotland, but I don't remember exactly, and they were visiting Australia, and it was winter, and they said, can we celebrate Christmas in July? And here we are. That's how the phrase came to be. But this movie, <clears throat> so the movie, uh, this guy works for a coffee company, okay, in, remember, this is 1940, so there's going to be a couple things that depending on your age, you may not <laughs> understand. But he works for a coffee company, 
and this other coffee company is having a slogan contest. They want to come up with a new slogan. And if you submit the slogan that they pick, there's a $25,000 prize, which is probably, you know, a lot of money. It's like five gallons of gas now here. But um, <laughs> that was a lot of money. It still is. I, I'll take a $25,000 check. And so he, even though he works for a competing coffee company, he still enters a slogan, and he thinks he's got the best one, right? His fiance is excited for him. He's very animated. And some coworkers decide to make a fake telegram. <laughs> Do you know what a telegram is? Yeah, there we go. It's like an email. They fake a telegram saying he's won and leave it on his desk. Now, he hasn't won. But he gets this telegram and, and gets super excited and declares he's out, you know, I'm leaving. I've won this, this contest. And uh, the coworkers don't get a chance to tell him it's a joke. He's gone. He leaves. And through a series of events of miscommunication and irony, he goes to the competing coffee company and the boss there gives him the check. He thinks he's won uh, because he didn't communicate with his team. So he gets this $25,000 check, and he and his fiance go to the store, uh, department store. They're going to buy new furniture. You know, they're, they're kind of poor. Um, he, they're going to buy new furniture. He's going to buy the neighborhood kids all these toys. And uh, I don't know if you know, but there were no credit cards back then. So he just goes in and says, I have this check for $25,000, but I haven't cashed it yet. Can I buy things on credit? of this check. And they were like, of course you can buy whatever you want because we're making money. So they let him take all this stuff and they're heading back to the neighborhood with all of these things, um, you know, especially the toys for the, the neighborhood kids. And I just want to show you one quick little clip from the movie to show you what happens at that point. Can you see the faces on everybody when we get there? Yeah. Like Christmas in July. Hmm. Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> That's it. That's the only reference of Christmas in July in that whole movie. It's not even Christmas, and I don't think it's July, because he said Happy New Year. I think they're in January. It doesn't make any sense. And the, com the movie continues uh, to play out. I won't spoil it if you want to go watch it. Um, the ending is best summed up as ironic, I would say. I'll leave it at that. But that is the only mention of Christmas in July in that entire movie titled Christmas in July. That's, the that's it. That's all you get. They're on their way back to the neighborhood to give kids a bunch of presents, and she just makes the comment, it'll be like Christmas in July. That doesn't make any sense. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I don't like reading books that have titles that make, have nothing to do with the book. I don't like movies that have titles that have nothing to do with the movie. You take that out, and the movie actually is kind of funny. Would you agree? My wife, I'm, I made my wife watch an old movie. Ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> But the movie title makes no sense. Christmas in July makes no sense anyway, but this movie isn't helping. God gave his one and only son. And that makes no sense. And God gives gifts. But it makes no sense. 
Jesus came as a baby instead of a king. Why didn't Jesus just come in the clouds where everyone could see him with all his power and all his splendor and all his might? It doesn't make any sense. But may I propose a counter-argument? It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. We can be so thankful to God for sending his son. I personally will forever wonder why come as a helpless little infant? Have you ever held a baby? I'm looking at people who are holding babies right now. <laughs> There's a couple of them in the room. They're helpless. You know, I, I just saw, uh, I don't know whose baby you're holding, Savannah, but, um, you know, I, and I saw Bella's baby, uh, Bella's baby, Bella the baby, Chris and Amy's baby earlier today, and they're so innocent and squishy and cute, but they can't do anything on their own. Is, are, are they making their own breakfast? Are they getting up and brushing their own teeth? No, that'd be really impressive, by the way. <laughs> if, if she was like, yeah, just this morning. Uh, no, they can't do anything on their own. So why did God come as a baby instead of a reigning king? Like we see in the book of Revelation. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. But that's why God is God and I am not. What I mean to say is God's plan is way better than mine. I am not saying I have a better plan. I'm saying his plan is perfect. Even though I might think it's unusual. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, when I run into roadblocks like this and I go, why, God? It doesn't make sense. There's an uh, Old Testament prophet called Habakkuk. Say that. Habakkuk. It's fun. Habakkuk, chapter 1. The first four verses are Habakkuk complaining to God. Why, God? Why, God? Why are you letting this happen to Israel? Why, 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 why? And in verse 5, God says something. He says, I am going to do something that you would not believe even if I told you. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't need to explain his plans to us because even if he did, we wouldn't believe him. I still don't fully understand why a baby. If he explained it to me, I probably wouldn't get it. <laughs> but what's comforting to know is that God is in control, that God has a plan, and that he knows what he's doing. It makes not much sense to us, Sure doesn't make sense to me sometimes, but God can do amazing things in circumstances beyond our control. God's plans make perfect sense. Maybe not to you and not always to me, but his plans are perfect. Some of you already know this story, but there's a four-year-old boy who's diagnosed with cancer. Just right there. Makes no sense. He goes through three and a half years of chemotherapy. Makes no sense. His hair falls out because of the medication he has to take. Makes no sense. He has to get more shots than he can count. To a four-year-old, that's not fair, and it makes no sense. But the boy pulls through, and the cancer is no more. Praise God! Right? We're so quick to forget that we were asking God, why are you doing this? Why, 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 why? And then in the moment of you know, victory, we say, thank you, God, praise God. 
But the question does still linger, too. Why, God? Why make a young boy go through something like that? Now, God did not give cancer to that boy, by the way, okay? God did not give cancer to that boy. But why allow it to happen? Well, the little boy is me. And I know my parents were saying, why, God? Especially for those three and a half years. And maybe after. But through the whole, whole ordeal. And I know the answer now. It's because every time I see someone diagnosed with cancer, I can relate. And every time someone is sick or going through treatments of some kind, I can relate. I have the ability to just sit with people who are sick and hurting, and I can feel what they feel. I can put my arm around them, and I do not promise healing. I don't put words in God's mouth. God chooses who he's going to miraculously heal and when he's going to do it. And unless he tells me I'm going to heal this person, I don't promise that. I don't promise recovery, but I do put my arm around them and tell them about a God that loves them. And some of you are probably sitting there thinking, yeah, sure, you can relate, but that doesn't constitute as a good reason to make a boy go through something like that. Some of you think, why can't God just give you that ability without having to have cancer? Why can't he just give you the ability to come alongside the hurting and to feel what they feel and to be able to to put your arm around them and relate? God is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful and he could do just that. Makes no sense. Or it makes perfect sense. Why would God send Jesus his son, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Why doesn't he just say, forgive them all, and poof, all sin just goes away. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a human life. He ate, he slept, he got tired, he got frustrated. Remember him flipping the tables? That's one of my favorite stories. He got, he was tempted, and he was sad. My kids are going around spouting right now the shortest verse in the Bible because they learned a Bible verse, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He got sad. He felt everything we might ever feel. He knows everything. And his plan was and still is perfect. You see, it's easy to say, I forgive you. But it's another thing to actually put it into practice because bitterness and resentment can just creep its way into our hearts and to our minds. Just because you're a born-again believer does not make you immune to that. <laughs> it can still happen. Um, you know, because even, even Paul told us to rid ourselves of those things in Colossians 3. He says, get it out. But if my kids are playing and roughhousing, like just yesterday, <clears throat> they do that. Uh, say they're roughhousing and they knock over a lamp and it crashes to the ground, and it breaks. Now, I can harbor anger and, and rage and yell at them and malice, and, or I can do the right thing, and I can be a parent and a pastor, I guess, <laughs> and forgive them 
and I say, I forgive you. But who pays for the lamp? Right? Lamp wasn't free, and it's not going to be free to replace it. It's going to cost me something. The price of sin, which is death and separation from God, is something no human can afford. I can't pay that price on my own, and I have yet to meet anyone else who can, except Jesus Christ. Again, if you think you can, please come talk to me, because I would love to pick your brain. <laughs> There's a guy in the New Testament, I think I've already mentioned, Paul. Um, he tried to pay his own way until he met Jesus, and then he realized he couldn't make it on his own. Paul's an interesting character. I love Paul. Paul, he grew up Jewish, um, and then he has this amazing conversion story uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, but go check it out. Uh, and actually, it's cool, because in, in, in Acts, uh, you read the story of it happening, and then he actually, he tells that story two more times in chapters 22 and 26, all in the book of Acts. Uh, so you get to read it three times if you're reading the book of Acts, which is kind of funny. But, you know, the Bible says that we will overcome based on the words of our testimony. So it's always good to have your testimony. But Paul, he grew up Jewish. He's in a very elite class of society and religion. Um, he's not someone who's skipping church, okay? He, he follows the letter of the law, and then he joins the group called the Pharisees. Anyone know the Pharisees? They were the people who were always arguing and debating and losing to Jesus. <laughs> it's always my favorite part. The Pharisees, they're a very select group of devout Jews. They take things kind of a step further. In fact, Luke calls them the strictest. They are the strictest sect of Jews. Paul is at the top of them all, okay? He also has a strong lineage. Uh, he is, Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin, which if you remember from the Old Testament, uh, the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, uh, was from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, I forgot to mention, Paul's name was Saul before his conversion. He was named after an ancestor of great importance, the first king of Israel. And even farther back, the tribe of Benjamin started with... Anyone want to take a guess? Benjamin. Benjamin, yes. The tribe of Benjamin started with Benjamin. Why is that important? Well, Benjamin is the son of Jacob and the son of Rachel. Okay, Jacob had uh, two wives. We don't do that anymore. Rachel and Leah, okay? But he also, they each had maidservants that Jacob had kids by, uh, Billah and Zilpah. So he's got the 12 tribes of Israel actually come from four different women. Uh, all Jacob, but four different women. Okay, and Benjamin was a son of Rachel. Why does that matter? Because Rachel is the one that Jacob loved. I love you, babe. And <laughs> this, seriously, the Pharisees really were this snobbish, okay? There's Jews... All right, and we're, we're, say you're all around these Jews, they're all from the different tribes of Benjamin. 
or different tribes, excuse me, they were this snobbish. They would be like, oh, you're from the tribe of uh, Naphtali, which is from one of the maidservants, not Leah or Rachel. Oh, well, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which makes me even better than you, even though we're on the same team. Okay? They really were that <laughs> uptight about it. But Paul's got this whole list of credentials. He's got this whole list of qualifications that if he were here and alive today, he'd have a lot of letters after his name, uh, you know, and he could probably brag about it forever. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, I just, I'm loving the book of Philippians, so you're stuck here with me. Uh, it, it's a, this is Paul talking. Although I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm better than all of you. Okay? That's what he's saying. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Wow, okay, Paul, we get it. <laughs> You're kind of a big deal, okay? <laughs> we, we understand. What's interesting is he's bragging to this city of Philippi. Philippians was written to uh, the people in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony. There actually weren't many Jews there. So why is he bragging about his Jewish heritage? Uh, there's not even a synagogue in Philippi, which tells you there's not many Jews there. Um, the common denominator is pride. He's talking about how proud he was. These Roman colonists were proud. Uh, they were very proud of their status. Uh, a lot of them were retired military, and they're proud of, of the Greek customs, uh, not the good ones, but the Greek customs that, that they had. They were very proud of themselves. So he's touching on the pride. And Paul fired off seven accomplishments that put him above the rest right there. It's interesting to note that the first four are actually either by birth or by his parents' choice, right? He has nothing to do with the first four other than he's just saying, look, I was dealt a really good hand when I was born. And then the last three were his own choice. But he says right there, the first one, circumcised on the eighth day. That means he was not converted to Judaism, to be circumcised on the eighth day is to say that he was not from a mixed bloodline. He was not proselyte nor Ishmaelite. There's your Bible words for the day if you need to go impress somebody. <laughs> but those are other bloodlines of Israel. They performed circumcision at later dates. The Ishmaelites performed circumcision after the age of 13. Yeah, all the men cringe. That's not, not good. Then he says, of the people of Israel... I am of the people of the one and only true God. Again, I'm not a convert. I grew up a Jew. And he's also saying, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. Abraham's all the way back in the middle of the book of Genesis. It's not even the end. Let's see Ancestry.com pull that one off, okay? <laughs> of the tribe of Benjamin... Which I've already kind of talked about, but, you know, just again, Benjamin, the, the tribe itself, they, they got a lot of respect uh, just in general because of who they were. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is to say, he's a Hebrew from a line of Hebrews, and his parents were Hebrew. <laughs> 
But that's interesting because he was born in Tarsus. Tarsus is in what we would look at as modern-day Turkey, and it's right next to Greece. And again, again, I was saying how Greek customs and not the good stuff um, were kind of working their way into the culture at the time. And so he's saying, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have remained a devout Hebrew. I speak Hebrew. I can read Hebrew. He didn't adopt the Greek customs. And then in regard to the law of Pharisee, which, again, they were the strictest ones— you know, I always like when Jesus gets into it with them because I can just see God the Father. You ever, like, you know your kids, they're fighting or whatever, and you say, now, play nice. <laughs> like, that's what I think of when the Pharisees try to <laughs> argue with Jesus. Not that that's wise, but... As for zeal, persecuting the church. I found this an interesting one because why would Paul bring this up? This is, this is years and years after his conversion to Christianity. So, you know, if he had a regret in his life, I would think he would regret um, killing Christians. That's what Paul did um, as a Pharisee. He went around. Uh, we know he was there uh, at the stoning of a believer named Stephen. He uh, was there. He watched and approved of his death. And, you know... It's cool that Paul becomes a believer. I always like to think of, you know, Stephen was probably excited when Paul entered heaven. Probably even gave him a hug, because that's how the gospel works. We love those who persecute us. But you read that story of the stoning of Stephen, and you probably think, why God? But we got Paul later, who is the reason for so many of the New Testament letters, and he's an encourager to the church, and he's an evangelist, and he's the reason that Christianity spread so far so quickly. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here Paul is saying, I have followed the law. And I don't think he means just the Ten Commandments, because again, he's a Pharisee. He's the strictest one. He's probably like, those 613 Levitical laws— Got him. Check, 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 check. If Santa has a naughty list and a nice list, right, Paul's on the nice list, okay? Paul's at the top of the nice list is basically what he's saying. But even though Paul claims to have followed the law and he claims that he's faultless, the Bible does say in Romans that there is no one righteous, right? Not one, but through Christ, we can become the righteousness of God. So Paul's kind of made his point here. And then he continues in verse 7. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's a strong word. Garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's all garbage. Not just his religious background, not just his heritage. He says everything. Everybody say everything. Everything is garbage other than knowing Jesus Christ. He had to put aside his pride and his ego because he knew that there was something that was getting him farther away from Jesus. 
And I know some of you are wondering what's going on, but I want to show you. I do work here on the weekdays. I know some people think that I'm only here one day a week, and that's okay. But when I come in here, it's a lot darker, and I have to prop this door open. I shouldn't be telling all of you this, but the light switch is on the other side. <laughs> and I prop this door open, which I'm not going to do now because, you know, there's people out there. And I have to walk this way in the dark. Imagine those Christmas lights aren't on, the star isn't on, and the farther I get from that door, the harder it is to see. I'm not going to tell you how many times I've run into this pillar, okay? I'm not going to admit that. <laughs> but the farther I get from the light, the harder it is to see. Paul knew that he had to give up his pride. He had to give up his status because it was holding him back. It was holding him back from Jesus. The farther he was getting from Jesus, the harder it was to see. That looks different for each and every person in this room. You can turn the lights back on <laughs> before I trip up the stairs. <sighs> Paul wanted to be closer to Jesus, so he had to give those things up. And we can get caught up in a lot of things, right? Whether that's status and pride, or maybe it is worldly possessions. Whatever it is, it's going to look different for every person in this room. You know, Jesus told a young uh, rich ruler that he had to go sell all of his worldly possessions because that was what was holding him back. Okay, we know that those things are not bad in and of themselves, but that if they are pulling us away from the light, if they are pulling us away from Jesus, we've got to give them up. Whether that's worldly possessions or, or something else like pride, or maybe we are proud of our status, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a bunch of letters at the end of your name. If you have a PhD, MD, I can't think of any others, you know, that's awesome. But if the pride of that is getting in your way, you need to go to Jesus. We don't want to stray further from the light. If you can identify what that is, Jesus said twice in the Gospel of Matthew to cut it off and throw it away. That's pretty extreme. He wasn't talking just about hands and feet. <laughs> he was talking about worldly possessions. He was talking about pride. That if that's what's holding you back, it is better to enter heaven maimed than to burn in hell with your whole body intact. It's better to be in heaven without your pride. If you can't identify what that is, if you know you know, there's something holding me back. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I know I can be closer to God. I've been closer to God. That's usually a lot of our um, litmus test, right? I've felt closer to God. Why do I not feel the way I felt when I was, you know, youth group so much more fun I, when I was 13? The Holy Spirit, this is one of the things he does, is he convicts us of our sin, but he guides and directs as well. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to give you what it is, tell you what it is so that you can identify it, and then the Holy Spirit can help you get rid of it too. And if you struggle with that, that's another thing. We would just love to pray with you. You know, you don't need to tell us. <laughs> we don't need, you know, your life story. Unless you want to tell it, I'm happy to listen. But I'm just saying, we don't need personal details. If you want to keep it discreet, that's fine. We would love to pray for you, to, for the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you so that you can begin cutting it 
off. And then in verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's the best verse right there. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. God's plans are perfect. It all makes sense to him. He doesn't always make sense to us, but God's plans are perfect. And Paul, I love Paul. This is why I love Paul. Because he says, I want to know Christ more. Everybody say more. more. I want to know Christ more. What does that mean? It means he doesn't know Christ enough yet. There's always more to reach. Even Paul didn't get to the end. He wasn't perfect. And he was the apostle of all apostles, right? Uh, we give him, uh, there, there could be argument for better. Uh, hi, Peter. But, um, you know, I'm just saying, Paul's way up there in terms of the apostles. And even he says, I need to know Christ more. That's encouraging, at least to me. Because God's plans are perfect. God is with you. We just sang. He is with you. He is for you. Hebrews 13 says he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's our first love. He's our protector. He surrounds us with his love. King David said in, in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, I don't know if I'm walking through a valley of a shadow of death. That's a little dark. But sometimes life can feel that way, can't it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. That's probably my favorite part of that psalm. I know it's a popular one. Uh, it's read at weddings and funerals. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I want to close Christmas with this. And if the worship team wants to come up, if you guys are comfortable, um, I think we should sing a song again. But God's plans are perfect. It makes perfect sense. We may not always understand it in the moment, <laughs> but we can trust him. Because he knows what he's doing. Because God didn't give me cancer. But I know that he continues to use that to this very day. Puts me in situations and relationships where I can use that uh, and help people with what I've been through. And Paul, you know, Paul thought he had it all figured out until Jesus showed him that his accomplishments and his worth and his pride and his ego and his status were garbage. Throw it away. You don't keep garbage. You throw it away. Paul had a great reputation. He had a great status. And we can learn from Paul that nothing is worth keeping in comparison to Jesus. To get closer and closer to Jesus. We don't want to get farther. The farther we get from the light, the harder it is to see. But Jesus came as a baby. 
And that's why we celebrate Christmas. But that's not the end game. There's more to this story. I've mentioned the book of Revelation a few times, and I know people don't always want to read that book because it's hard to swallow, it's hard to understand. But go to Revelation 21 and 22 because that's the end game. That's where Jesus is won. Sin and death are defeated once and for all. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what's in that new heaven and new earth? Yeah, there's streets of gold. I don't really care about that. It says there are no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. And there's no more pain. That's the end game. That's what we can look forward to. That's, we put our hope in Jesus Christ for that future because that is what is to come. Because his plan makes perfect sense. Amen? Well, God, I just thank you for today, Lord. I pray that you would just, uh, Holy Spirit, convict us, God, uh, of the sins that maybe we don't even realize, God. Uh, Bring us back to the light, Lord. Don't let us stray any farther in darkness, God. But I just pray that um, as we close out Christmas, we would not forget uh, that you sent your one and only Son so that we don't have to be in the darkness anymore. We just thank you for this time, God. I just pray that if we can just sing that song, The Blessing, uh, one more time, that, um, Lord, you, that you would show people that you are for us, that you are not against us, that you want to help us to get out of the darkness and back into the light, God. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.